First Peter chapter 2, verse 4 in the New King James Version says this. Coming to him, Jesus, as to a living stone, re- rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a rock of a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you, everybody say you, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. I want to speak from that passage on this thought for a little while on this Sunday morning. God's house. God's house. You may be seated. Our Heavenly Father has a building project. Our Heavenly Father has a building project. And it's taking place right in the middle of Babylon. God is building a house. And it's not just any house. It's his house. He's building not just a house, but he's building God's house. Right in the middle of all the nonsense that's going on in the world, God is building a house. God's on the move. God's doing something in our day and age. I know there's a lot of different things going on. I recognize that we live in a society that's as pluralistic as any that we've ever seen in North America. There's all kinds of belief systems that compete against one another. And there's all sorts of voices that are speaking out, crying out for your attention. But in the middle of all of that, I'm here to report to you today that the Apostle Peter wrote to them back then. And it is true for us today. Our Heavenly Father has a building project and he is building a house in Babylon. And it is God's house. Hebrews chapter 3 tells us, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses was also faithful to his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. For Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant 
for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward, that is today. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. God is building a house, and the house is you. The church is his house, not the structure of the church, not the drywall and the brick and the concrete of the church building, but the people of the church is the house that God is building. The apostle Peter identifies it and tells you today that you, like Christ, are a living stone. A living stone that's been crafted by the master craftsman. You have been fit and dressed and prepared for such a time as this. And God is placing you in this hour as part of his house. It's no accident today that you're here. And it's no accident that you are born in the time period that you live in today in 2023. It doesn't matter if you're the youngest person in the room or the oldest person in the room. It is not an accident that you are alive in 2023 as part of God's house. We are that house. Don't be confused for a second or miss this. It can't be our house. It can't be your house. It has to be God's house. If we get confused on it, we're going to miss out And we're going to think we have more than we actually have. There's some people that think spiritually they think they have more than they actually have. Because there's a house in their life, but it's not God's house. It's their house that they've put God's name on top of. And they've confused themselves. And the adversary has fed that lie. And the adversary has convinced them that they have more in God than they actually have because they actually have their house when what they need is to be a part of God's house. Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord build the house, they that labor on it labor in vain. There is a stone, a cornerstone, that God prepared since before the beginning of history. And before the beginning of history, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. God has always had a plan. And God always has a plan. Nothing catches Him by surprise. God has been preparing a stone. It's the stone that sat ready Until these last days, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, says, In these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. Before, in the Old Testament, God was speaking by prophets, and God was speaking through other means. But in these last days, the Word of God says, He has spoken to us by his Son. And I'm talking about Jesus Christ this morning. He is the cornerstone of God's house. Therefore, it is also contained in Scripture, the Apostle Peter quotes, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, say, that's me. Well, that was weak. Do you believe? Say, that's me. That's me. All right, that was much better. To we who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, 
The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief corner stone. Can I pause for a minute and make a point that I hadn't planned on making? But in that scripture where he quotes from the Old Testament, he makes, the, he, he makes a distinction between those who believe and those who are disobedient as though they are opposites. And can I just call your attention to the fact that he doesn't say those who are obedient and those who are disobedient, but he says those who believe and those who are disobedient. He's taking for granted that if you believe, you are obedient. If you are not obedient, you don't believe. Is that easy enough? So whenever we approach the word of God and we see something in it that is true and we believe it, It is our responsibility. It's not God's responsibility at that point. It's your responsibility to act on it in an obedient way. So when the word of God says, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again of the water and of the spirit. When we affirm that as true, and you see that as true, and God gives you revelation for it, it is your responsibility to become obedient to it. And to say, what must I do to be saved? How do I need to be baptized? Well, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. Why would you want to be baptized in any other name? He's the chief cornerstone. He's the foundation of the church. He's the one that I want. I'm going to build on him. I'm going to build on his identity. And because he's a living stone, I get to be a living stone. And we get to be part of God's house together. If you've seen something in the word of God and you've acknowledged it as true and you believe it, you need to do some deep soul searching this morning and consider whether or not you have been obedient to it. Because to those who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. I think Simon Peter knew something about this doctrine of Jesus being the cornerstone. I read of a time in the Gospels where Jesus is asking the disciples, and he's saying, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, Master, some say that you're Elijah, and some say that you're one of the prophets, and some say that you're this and that. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And the same man that authored this letter that we're preaching and teaching through, that we read in our hearing this morning, The same man who wrote about Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, he had a revelation back in the Gospels, and he spoke up in that moment and said, Jesus, I know who you are. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're God's anointed one. He got a revelation of who Jesus was, and he changed everything for Simon Peter because he realized that in Jesus Christ, the world had something that it could build upon to be saved. Jesus affirmed that and said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, Simon, but God has revealed this to you. And he says, on this rock, what rock? The rock of the the revelation of the identity of the mighty God in Christ. On this rock, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not Prevail against that church. I'm talking about God's house this morning. I'm talking about you as a living stone. We have a pattern that is a chief 
cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And we come to him, Simon Peter says in 1 Peter 2.4, as a living stone. And because of what he is, when we're obedient to him, and we line up with the dimensions of that cornerstone, we too become living stones. And we get to become part of God's house. Jesus is the absolute central person in the church. Nothing in the church, nothing about the church supersedes Jesus. He's the foundation. Some would reject Jesus Christ and reject his message and reject his claims. The world today recognizes that there is a building project underway, that God is doing something. But the world, even though they recognize that something's going on, that God is at work, the world wants to do things their own way. The builders of this world rejected the cornerstone that God had given them. We've been talking about Babylon a little bit. Can I make a Babylon connection? Genesis chapter 11, you know what was going on? There was a building project. They were building a tower in a place called Babel. And the, the builders of the world at that time, they knew the plan of God. What had God said? God said, go and be fruitful and multiply. That was, the, that was the directive that God gave them. But the builders of the world in that generation said, not interested. I know that God's up to something. I know that he's doing something. I know God has a project of his own, a plan of his own, but I'm not interested in that. I'm going to gather everyone together in this plane in a place called Babel, and we're going to build something of our own. And they started to construct a tower in Babel. And it was built to suit their own plan. They said, come, let us make this tower and make a name for ourselves. That's what they said. You can go to Genesis chapter 11. And they selected not God's cornerstone that he had prepared, but they selected their own cornerstone and their own building materials. And can I tell you, you can read it for yourself. In that generation, it ended in disaster. It was a calamity. It was a failure on every point. It was complete confusion at the end of the day because man chose his own way over God's way. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. And I would spin that into the affirmative and tell you today, not only is there a wrong way that seems right to a man, but there is a right way that God has given us, and it is Jesus Christ and him crucified. It is his message, it is his teaching, it is his identity. He is the chief cornerstone of the church, and brothers and sisters, he must be the cornerstone of your life. He must be. The world rejected Jesus. Because he was not successful by the world's standards. But what the world rejected, it says that God elected him. He is elect. He is precious. To we who believe, he is precious. And if we lose the... Brother Dustin, why do you spend time on this? This seems fundamental. Because if we lose the doctrine of who Jesus is, we lose everything. Everything. Absolutely everything. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, If Christ is not risen from the dead, then your faith is in vain. We have to, I'm going to take it out of the we. I'm going to say you. You need to have a strong revelation of who Jesus Christ is. 
He needs to be your North Star. You need to set your watch by him. Jesus needs to be your standard of measuring things in your life. Jesus needs to be the filter that you operate by. He needs to be, hear me, Jesus needs to be the line that you line up to. Jesus is your cornerstone. Let me talk to the person this morning that came in and your world feels out of control and you're not sure where you need to orient yourself and how you need to line yourself up and get into alignment and you feel like your world is spinning and turned inside out, there is a cornerstone that God has set builders in the church, but the cornerstone is the, the, the point at which everything is measured by. They said it very, very precisely, Brother Joe. There was such an exact measurement and placement that goes into that cornerstone because it's at that point that the way they used to build buildings, they would, they would determine all the measurements from that point. Some of us, even under the sound of my voice this morning, you need to go back to the cornerstone. There's been some lines that have gotten out of alignment in your life. There has got, there's been some things that you've been measuring incorrectly and you've been letting yourself go too far. You've been letting yourself go too far. You've been letting yourself spend too much time on stuff. I'm not even necessarily talking about sin. I'm just talking about you haven't had the amount of moderation that you need. And you've let yourself get too far afield. And that thing that ordinarily wouldn't be sin has turned into sin for you. Because you've gotten out of alignment with God, the cornerstone is what you need to go back to this morning. Before we leave the building today, you need to find a place at one of these altars and you need to grab a hold of your seat and, and bury your face in your seat if you need to and you need to get a hold of the cornerstone that God has afforded to you to get your life into alignment that is pleasing to God. I need two or three people who will, stay, who will say with me today, it doesn't matter what is offered as an alternative, I'm going to stick with Jesus. It doesn't matter what everybody else is turning to, I'm going to lay hold of the cornerstone. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to keep my bearings with Jesus. I get my marching orders from Jesus. I determine the pace of my walk from Jesus. My yeses and my noes come from Jesus. When I get out of position, I go back to Jesus and get in position again. When the storm of life comes, I'm able to look down and know that my life is built on the rock of a cornerstone that shall not be moved by the winds and the waves and the storms of this life. It is Jesus Christ that is going to keep me anchored and tethered until I cross over to the other side. Talking about God's house. If you aren't living in God's house, if you aren't a part of God's house this morning, you can be. Because the apostle Peter writes with hope today to those that are sojourners and, and exiles. And he says, you, as Christ is a living stone, you are able to be living stones. Coming to him as a living stone rejected indeed by men. But chosen by God and, as, and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. A holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says, you are a chosen generation. This is the one we like to shout on. You are a chosen generation. 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once, the prophet Hosea said, you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. It's the climax of the whole passage, those last two scriptures, verses 9 and 10 that I just read in your hearing. Because it's in those passages that the Apostle Peter moves on from clarifying who Jesus is to start clarifying who you are and who the church is. The church is not a building we go to. The church is not an organization that you join. The church is not a service that you attend, port. And the church is not a club that you socialize with. The church is a redeemed community of people who have said, I'm part of something that is spiritual and that is above the things of this world. That God, my heavenly Father, has a building project and I can be in this world, but I don't have to be of this world. God is doing a work in my generation and he has set me apart and called me for such a time as this. I'm going to be a part of God's house. I'm going to be a part of the church. And the key that you need to restore your self-image and to keep your self-esteem at the appropriate level that it needs to be and quit letting the adversary drag you down is you need a revelation and a conviction of not just who Jesus is, but who Jesus says you are. You're a living stone. You're part of God's house. You're a royal priesthood. There's five things. Let's just, let's just, let's just break them in, in pieces for a second. Far be it from us to just quote, quote verse 9 and, 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 and chalk it up as a t-shirt or coffee cup verse. There's, there's powerful things that are happening in those five things that the apostle Peter writes and describes and tells us what we the church are. He says five things. He says, one, you're a chosen generation. What Israel refused to be. Because they rejected the Messiah, God has completed his church and completed his people by grafting in the Gentiles and creating a church. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. That's a group of priests that belong to a king. And what Paul, what Peter's saying there, and we need this revelation more than we've ever needed it, is that you have direct access to God through Jesus Christ. A royal priesthood. You don't have to go through a mediator. You don't have to pray to the saints. You, I'm happy to pray with you, but you don't, you don't have to go through me to get to God. God forbid. A royal priesthood. There's only one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You can go directly to him. We are a kingdom of priests. Let me tell you why that's significant. In the Old Testament, there was only a select group of people that were able to go into the tabernacle and experience the presence of God. But in the New Testament, today... We don't need to shrink away from getting into the presence of God. It's your birthright. It's your birthright. You're part of a royal priesthood. 
talking about what it means to be part of God's house. You're a holy nation. You, you belong to God in a way that other people do not. Sometimes we get a little too loose with our, our, our characterization of, of people being children of God. Not everybody is a child of God. Every human being is created in the image of God and has value. And God is reaching for them. It's not God's will, Brother Joe, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But not everybody is a child, a son, or a daughter of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And when you are part of God's house, when you're part of the church, you're a holy nation. You belong to God in a way that other people do not belong to Him. You're His own special people. The King James Version says you're His peculiar people. You're His own special people. You are a significant and precious possession of God. What is it in Zephaniah or Zechariah, one of them? God calls God his people, you are the apple of my eye. You are my most prized possession. That's you. That's what it means to be a part of God's house. You're not just a brick in the wall. You are loved by him. He knows the hairs that are on your head. He knows your name. He knows what you're going through. He loves you. And all of this is so that you might proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. All of the position and all of the privilege of being a child of God, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, all of that privilege, all of that position puts us in a place where we have purpose. The church's purpose in the world is not just about our status as a royal priesthood or a holy nation or God's own peculiar people, but that status leads you to a place of service. And our service that we are supposed to perform is to sing the praises of him who has called. Jesus made a difference in my life since I started building my life, Brother Walker, on that cornerstone. Things have been different. I've been in alignment with God. I've been blessed. I've been favored. I've been saved. God's forgiven my sins. Things have been different since I started building my life on Jesus. We have to tell people and praise the holy name of Jesus. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you? God's house. Oftentimes... When we get to one of those scriptures that we know so well, we'll stop. There's two more scriptures, and they contain the application. More than anything else, they contain the application for this message today. Since we have all those things that verse 9 tells us about, and since we have obtained mercy, and since we are called God's people, the apostle Peter calls us to action in verse 11. He says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lusts. He gives, us, he gives us two things that we can meditate on and that we need to make a matter of prayer this week. If we want to lay hold of the truth of everything else that I've preached up to this point, there's a negative and a positive. The first is we must abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. And then the next verse, have honorable conduct among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, when they run you down because of your beliefs, 
because of your convictions, that you may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Two musicians would come. The first is the negative. And the Apostle Peter says that we have to abstain. We have to abstain from fleshly lusts because they wage war against your soul. I'm talking about the everyday struggle right now. I'm talking about things that we deal with that come to us in the form of temptation, that we struggle with, that you wage war against. Someone needs to hear what I'm saying today. Don't give in. Don't give in. Someone needs to gain strength in prayer today because what you need to do is abstain because the battle is hot and there are temptations that are presenting themselves into your life. They come in all different shapes and sizes. Some of it is a temptation dealing with your honesty. Some of them are a temptation dealing with money. Some of it's a temptation. You can go down the whole list. There's temptations that present themselves in our lives. And you need to recognize that when you are interacting with those temptations, you are conducting a spiritual warfare. A spiritual warfare. The apostle Peter says, abstain from fleshly Lusts, which wage war against your soul. The struggle is over your soul. Did you know that the way that they understood the soul back then is they understood the soul to be your identity. It's the, it's the complete, it's the composite of who you are. It's everything. It's all of it melted together. What are you fundamentally at your core? That's your soul. That's the soul of a person. Peter's talking about your identity. He's talking about that you've been created and crafted in the image of a holy God. And you are a living stone. And if you are going to repel the attacks of the adversary, you're going to have to abstain from fleshly lusts. And the second part, the positive part, Simon Peter has a wider horizon in mind. And he says, you need to have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. This is where God's house translates into good works. We have to be at the front of what God is doing. We have to be at the front of what God's doing in the earth. You're going to, can we just get real for just a second? You're going to have people who speak poorly of you. And you're going to find yourself in their crosshairs because of your beliefs. I know that that's, that feels foreign to us because that's not the life that we've had to live here for many years. But it's the life they were living in the first century. And increasingly, as the days go on, the world is becoming more and more hostile to the things that you believe. And you need to be ready that there's going to be instances where people speak poorly of you and you find yourself in the crosshairs of the world simply because... You're a Christian. And the Apostle Peter has a word for you. Let your conduct be honorable so that by your behavior, those who would malign you and run you down can observe true Christian character. I, I know that it's much easier for us to shout when we talk about God's power manifesting itself in our lives. 
I believe there's tremendous power, Brother Billy, that God manifests in our life. I love to shout about it. But there's something special about when God's character manifests itself in our life. There's power there too. Conduct yourself honorably among the world. Your character should be so strong that accusations against you seem silly. That's what it means to be above reproach. That when, there's, when the accusations start flying and people start running you down because of your beliefs, that others around them tilt their head a little bit and they give them that sideways look and say, what are you talking about? That person has unimpeachable character. That person is an excellent person. They've got character. They have honesty. They're loving. They're kind. They have all the fruit of the Spirit manifest in their life. And the Holy Ghost is looking for someone today who will identify that way and say, I'm ready to do the warfare. I'm ready to be part of God's house. Stand with me all over this room right now. Our Heavenly Father has a building project. Can we lift up our hands and close our eyes in this place right now and start to be sensitive to the Spirit of God? Come on, I'm going to speak life over somebody and tell you, you aren't just any house. You're part of God's house. Jesus is looking for a living stone to add to his house today. Would you step out in faith? Could we start to gather around these altars? Could we start just flowing down these aisles right now and finding a place of prayer and saying, God, I want your character to manifest itself in my life. Somebody needs to get a hold of, you need to dig down and find that corner.